More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Ugh. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. All right, welcome everyone to DC and RMD's Doom Patrol edition. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search DC and RMD Doom Patrol edition. Or if you want to access all of our DC-related content, search for our main feed by simply typing in DC on RMD. Our preferred place for you to listen is iTunes because we need those ratings and reviews. So please make sure to head over there and give us a five-star rating. It does help us trigger the algorithms. And we are then seen by more people. And we definitely need that in order for us to continue to get into these studios or studio and do these shows every single day. Thanks a lot. And all we ask is a rating, right, David? Oh, absolutely. Because we have to keep the manner of, uh, of the House of Mystery clean from all those sex ghosts that are yeah. all over the place. Well, David, for this show, we're in the Doom Manor. Let's just say that. We still have sex ghosts. Then, yeah. Mike. <laughs> we st- yeah. However... Speaking of House of Mystery, we're going to talk about that in a second here. Because I, 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 I think I picked up on something, Dave. <laughs> uh, all right. So today we're going to be talking about Doom Patrol, episode three of season three, titled Dead Patrol. And if you couldn't tell, David's in the studio today. And Paul. Hello, Paul. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank you. Very polite. The synopsis. After being kidnapped into the afterlife, the team rely on Dorothy, Larry, and the dead boy detectives to save them from certain death. This episode, we must note here that this episode was written by the showrunner himself, Jeremy Carver, and also Steve Yoki, who is of Supernatural fame, for you Supernatural fans out there. Uh, this episode was a very strong addition to the series Uh, this was a deep dive into the darker side of dc in a really big way and those of you that have listened to my shows for quite some time now know that that is my jam right dave that's what i like is the darker side of dc the darker side of dc yes that's where it's at the writers for this episode as i said carver and steve yoki spent a lot of time mapping out a large territory in the way of DC mythos. There was definitely some creative license. I will say as you know, from someone who is a DC nerd, I think the three of us can admit that there was some creative license here for a large portion, but it still worked for the purposes of story development. As I've said time and time again, I'm not against showrunners, writers, directors, filmmakers of any shape, size, I have no problem with them taking creative license and changing things around from the adapted material. As long as the soul's intact, as long as the essence of the material is there, that's all that matters. I don't think any of us really want carbon copy duplicates of everything. Do we No, because then there's no originality and we've already read the comic. Do we really want to see the exact same thing in live action form? Not really. And that's sometimes, a- is there Sometimes. are there things like that you want to see? You just like, trying to throw no, a curveball. It's, it's it's like fifty fifty, right? Because like if if something is consistently done badly, then you just want it to emulate the comics. But okay. this is not that. Yeah. This is very good all the time. So I don't care what they do. Yeah, because and that's the thing. It also 
it also leans into the fact like what you mentioned, Mike, about this being unique. Yes, they're paying homage to a lot of the source material, and that's the important part. You keep the essence of the source of material. Yeah, doesn't it feel, especially in this episode, doesn't it feel like Carver, he's done this throughout the last three seasons, but especially in this episode, it feels like he's pulling from various places within DC continuity or canon and then just offering his own twist. Dude, he's pulling from so many places in the DC universe. I, I, it's the reason why I love the Doom Patrol series. It's not yeah. just because I like Doom Patrol, but it's also because the creative minds behind it, they really are having fun with, with, with the series. They, yeah. they don't mind pulling from the Rolodex and saying, okay, we're going to give our own spin on this. Yeah. It's, it feels authentic, but whether it's a direct adaptation or they're changing things up, it really doesn't matter because there's a, there is a sense of authenticity uh, in the way of, of DC. It has that vibe, and I'm okay with that. As long as, as just like what Paul said, as long as it's good. As long as it's good. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe, for example, I don't believe the Watchers exist in DC canon, nor does the Night Nurse now, see, I I got confused there because I always I thought it was supposed to be the Nightmare Nurse who yes yes you you are correct they both the Watchers and the Night Nurse both seem like a hybrid versions of various other DC comic characters combined. As far as I know, and if I'm wrong, DC fans out there, please hit me up on Twitter or send us a message. The Nightmare Nurse, I'm very familiar with. She's part of the JLD squad during the new 52 run. Yes. Uh, she is currently part of suicide squad in the recent run written by uh, Robbie Thompson. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm okay with that. Like it, it, I'm okay with, wait, what am I okay with? I lost my train of thought already. Nightmare nurse. Nightmare I'm nurse. aware of. There we go. Night nurse is a character from Marvel comics. An actual character and i believe she has a relationship with blade that's the only reason why i know because i'm a blade guy she is she is essentially the character that rosario dawson played in all of the netflix shows oh i didn't i wasn't aware of that okay so the night nurse is not a thing in dc comics however it does feel like they're pulling a little bit from the nightmare nurse and i'm wondering if either a jeremy carver and steve yoki are just like fuck it who cares or b they don't have the permission to do such a thing as we have just found out recently via a few tweets uh, from Neil Gaiman, basically confirming that there's a bit of a license issue with Constantine currently. Oh yeah. And we're starting to hear more and more news about how like certain series, the reason why certain characters don't show up is because of that, because well, there I mean, are you, plans in the works for other shows. Yeah. For you other look shows. at this show, this series in general, and the, you know, the existence of Willoughby. Yes. That, that is because they didn't have access to Constantine or, yes. or they being Grant Morrison. Yeah. Grant Morrison. Yeah. And that's from the comic book side, but I'm not even talking currently. Right. 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 But TV. it's very relatable to it's the very topic. Relatable to, to what happened back then. So, I mean, like now that we know that basically, with the night nurse that we saw here is a, a separate character. Then that makes sense to me. Yeah. Because I was actually going, coming in going, that's not the nightmare. That's not the nightmare nurse that I I'm familiar with. Yeah. So I, I was like thinking, Oh, Carver's taking his own spin on things. 
Yeah, there's a lot of cool things happening in this episode. I mean, just from a Supernatural fan side, you had Carver writing, you had Steve Yogi writing, and then the night nurse is played by Ruth Connell Ruth from Connell, Supernatural, yeah. who was in, what, the last five, six seasons of Supernatural? Dude, did you get giddy when you heard her voice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I heard it from that dark tunnel. I was like, holy shit, it's Ruth. Finally. I, I was waiting for her to pop up because I knew she was cast. So it was fun. But I think the biggest takeaway for me in the way of fan service e type things is the inclusion of the dead boy detectives. Absolutely. Now yes. I would consider this a bit of a deep cut. They're not necessarily necessarily mainstream. I would even call them probably C level characters. Oh yeah, yeah. I would agree. I mean, I there there is there is some kind of merit that you have to throw their way, though, in that, like, they are the stars of their own series, right? It's not like fucking Kite Man has his own <laughs> series. It's not Yet, like Paul. he never Yet. will. Tom King did it and he, we're done here. So, uh, you know, but point being is, yeah, they are the main characters of their own comic series. So they at least had that going for them. And, yeah. I, and I think it's cool because these characters are from originally uh, they were introduced in uh, the Sandman yeah, Neil Gaiman, were, Sandman. So th- they were created by uh, Ga- Neil Gaiman and Matt Wagner, who, yeah. who are two fantastic minds. And they were first introduced in issue twenty-five. For some reason, I had them introduced way sooner in that Sandman run. I had no idea it was already up there. That's up there. Yeah, cool. yeah. They're 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 a creation. That whole Sandman run, dude. There's so much that they could tap into, especially since in Doom Patrol they've been leaning on Neil Gaiman with his run of whatever he did, they're pulling from like things of Sandman and doom patrol and that vertigo run that after this episode, I'm really, I'm starting to get really giddy as just a fanboy of like, you know, this side of the DC universe, because no one talks about these characters, only like really hardcore fans of vertigo know and, these characters and, and not to, you know, whatever, not to stray off the path too much. But if you, if you look at, that content that we have been provided where like supposedly doom patrol, this show is in a different universe currently than like Titans is Mm -hmm. despite them starting together. Um, you know, whatever, if you're going to do that, then, you know, cool, go in this direction, tie them into all of these other like older vertigo properties and, and 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 just build from there because there's still so much. Could you imagine, could you imagine if, in Dead Boy Detectives, they continued the trend of actually pulling from, like, that side of the DC history, and suddenly we see a, a, a version of Lucifer pop up, or a, a a version of Animal Man pops up. See, and I don't know if we're going to get there now, and this is not me being a DC baby. It felt like three or four years ago, DC started saying, fuck it. You guys can do whatever you want. That's why they brought Ezra Miller into Flash. That's why they did this whole entire crossover. But now there's new leadership. And now suddenly we we get that news on Twitter from Neil Gaiman saying the reason why he didn't use Constantine in the upcoming Netflix series is because he's tied up in licensing issues because of other shows. So now suddenly we have now been privy to the the goings-ons. And now suddenly we realize that they're not able to use some of these characters. So... I'm okay I mean, with that, but I, I'm just wondering if there's going to be certain top tier characters that do belong in certain shows, and we're not going to see them because of the li- these licensing issues. Because you are right, Lucifer would fit right in. I feel like a lot of that is just timing, though, right? Like, yeah, um, 
you know, Constantine, I'm sure, you know, he was alluding to Constantine being tied to like legends of tomorrow. Right. But his, that character, like that, that arc, that story, whatever that character is done as of last season. Mm-hmm. So granted, I'm sure X amount of time has to pass and blah, 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 blah. But there's like, also an HBO if, Max series coming. Right. Yeah. So. And, and that's the thing about, have you noticed with, especially like the HBO series, they're the only ones that seem to do loose ties. I mean, Titans did the backdoor pilot for Doom Patrol. Now we have like Doom Patrol doing the backdoor pilot for Dead Boy Detectives because we all know, I mean, uh, in the news that Dead Boy Detective, the series got announced. Okay, well, you got to... Do we all know it, that? It, no, we didn't. I like it. David, if you're going to say it, announce it. Say drum roll, please. <laughs> drum roll, please. Uh, okay, fine. I hope that, you that, like that, this episode because you're getting fucking more DVD. <laughs> so they're they're doing the fashion, a TV series on TV Dead series. Boy Detective. Yes. And the showrunners will be? The showrunners are going, uh, going to be... Um, Jeremy Carver. Jeremy Carver. You're taking a long time to pull Steve. this information we already talked about. I lost the thing. I lost the stuff. He didn't want to wait for us. I got a bookmark. Let's just go with it. Let me open my bookmarks. Let me check. He didn't want to wait for us to get there organically. And then he wasn't even ready when the time came. I got too excited. I got too excited. Dead Boy Detectives is going to be a show about two Dead Boy Detectives. They are going to have a showrunner. Uh, oh. It will be an HBO Max property. This is exactly what David does when he gets overly excited. Yes. So now that I got it in front of me. All right. Steve Yoki and Jeremy Carver will be executive producing and Steve Yoki will be writing oh. the Dead Boy Detective I'm so ready. series. That's actually going to be also be executively produced by Berlanti Productions with Greg Berlanti, Sarah Schuster, and David Madden. Now, I will fully admit that I did not know of this. It wasn't until Paul came into the studio and talked as if I knew. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what are you talking about? So I am also extremely excited. I sent a link to an article in a chat that we are exclusively you and I is the chat. (laughs) (laughs) I sent it like two weeks ago. Did I ever respond to it? Uh, Yeah, I was like, isn't this old news? Because I... I the old news that I was talking about was the fact that DBD was going to be in an episode of Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um, and then the new news was that they were going to get their own show. It doesn't matter. Here we are. We're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it now, Mike. All right. We're doing it so live. needless to say, I am very excited. This is essentially was a backdoor pilot. I'm really hoping that they keep the because remember, they did this similar to Titans where they had the Doom Patrol show up in a backdoor pilot for Titans. I really hope that basically the cast that they chose for the dead boy detectives in this episode is the same pair that we'll get in the series. Well, so looking at the, uh, you know, whatever um, we'll call it the creatives, the, the heads, the leaders for this episode, writer, uh, blah, 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 all of that. And then who is going to be running that series? Oh, it's the same people. I feel like, you know, they, they probably were confident with their choices and, you know, we're moving forward because as such because Sebastian Croft and Ty Tennant were good choices for the dead boy detectives. And if you were a fan of those, the, the, those pair of characters, I thought, I thought Sebastian and Ty did a fantastic job as those two characters. Now, 
that's why I said I'm kind of the only thing I'm worried about is like oh they'll probably they might recast them just like how they did. I don't with think so. Doom I, Patrol. I, mean, I think they the, did it with they it, did it with Doom Patrol because they weren't quite sure who was cast at that time. And they, they weren't. Only they weren't cast one character from they, that too. Uh, Rita they, was the same. Jane, I do not believe was even in the yeah, backdoor Jane pilot. Jane wasn't in the backdoor. And Niles was a different actor. Yes. yes, I think I thought Niles was yeah. the only one who, because also in the pilot, the Doom Patrol voices were all different. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't Cliff. It wasn't Brendan Fraser. So I think what happened was they didn't have the top talent locked down yet, which was of course Timothy Dalton, Brendan Fraser, and Matt Bomer. Those are the three big names, and it. Obviously, they didn't have them or they were too big of names to say, hey, would you like to show up in this random backdoor pilot on another show? So I don't even think was Cyborg there. I forgot if Cyborg was. Actually- no, he was but, not. but again, all of like in, in that situation, in that pilot, those characters were um, just much. They weren't like front and center were the core of the episode like it was in this. So I. Yeah, I, I also liked the the two boys and also the girl. I I don't remember the girl's name. It's not important. Yeah, it is. What is her name? <laughs> is she made up in the show. I don't remember. In the she's not in the comics, is she? I don't remember her. I don't believe so. That was the other character besides, you know, the Watchers that I was like kind of confused with. With how okay is this a character that I'm yeah. forgetting? Well, listen, she worked. Yeah. All right. So, needless to say. There were a lot of moving parts, so let's start getting through, working through this episode. And and, and not just moving parts, I would say that this episode is quite an accomplishment because of all the moving parts. That's probably a better way of starting this off. Any ground we might have lost due to the pandemic and the episode that needed to be cut from the previous season was no doubt made up for this episode. Which now knowing that this was a backdoor pilot even blows my mind that much more. Because not only did you cover so much ground, we had some pretty big reveals with some of our characters, and they introduced three new characters on top of that that actually had development as well and proper introductions. We got uh, a lens into each of their problems and the things they're going through. Of course, with Edwin, you have uh, his death and the fact that he went to hell at some point and death is after him. And then with uh, Charles... uh, You see that his story is a sad one, possibly was murdered by a bunch of bullies. And then the psychic gal. After was tormented by a demon, by a demon, by a demon. I mean, that's an entire that literally is a fantastic way to do a backdoor pilot because I'm intrigued and I'm highly interested in finding out what happens next. And then you also throw in the fact that they might throw Dorothy into the mix. Because yeah, I mean, it, Dorothy, looks like it. It, it looks like it and it makes sense too, because I don't know about you, you guys, but Dorothy's story at this point has reached its end for the Doom Patrol. Niles is I was, gone. I was surprised to see her like come back, especially this soon. And then it made sense to have then to send her off with these people. Yeah. And I'm glad that they're finding if, if, if in fact, that's what they're doing, which I think we can all agree that's. It does, in fact, look like she's joining that show. It looks like it's another show that me and you're going to cover. Mike. She is such, yeah, <laughs> she is such a a good actress that it would be a shame not to use her as this character in another show if the opportunity presented itself. So I'm okay with that. I'm wondering if Danny is also going to join that show. I mean, Danny can as, be anywhere. Yeah, at least like as Danny can be the night nurse of this side <laughs> of like this weird connected vertigo. Yeah, content. 
how can a know nothing, how can a character like Danny be so fun? Like he's not a character and yet he is a character. Because it's such a ridiculous idea. A, A ridiculous idea that's also a stupid, convenient tool. He's a plot device that they fleshed out as a character. Yeah. That's exactly. They took, they took. I think that's a, the best way to put it. Yeah. They took an inanimate object, which was Danny on the street. And they, I mean, last season they gave it so much character by giving this idea that Danny was protecting all those people. And she cared about the, all those people that now as a fan of Doom Patrol, you're like, going, yeah, Danny's a person. Danny's real. Danny's important. Danny's, Danny's good. Important. I get happy when he shows up. When the ambulance pulled up, I was like, all right, here we go. That was so funny because I'm like, going, what the hell is it? Oh, it's Danny. Yeah. As an ambulance. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite a juggling act. There was a lot going on. This is a show that never has had, in my opinion, a problem balancing the story. You know by devising the narrative in such a way that each character gets their due, which oh, yeah. we have all watched shows with ensemble casts. And many times they don't do a very great job at getting or giving each character their due. And many times several characters kind of fall through the cracks. And this show is a perfect example of how to balance a proper ensemble cast. It's neatly cohesive. Each character's development flows right into the next, typically because Carver employs uh, the use of themes many times to keep everything tight. Uh, Sometimes even the inclusion of a song, which we are always fans of, will be used as a type of leitmotif to draw um, everything together and infer meeting, like season one's People Like Us track and last episode's Forever Young. They also have a very distinct purpose, whereas you have certain shows that use cool hit music because they want to help the energy of the show. This show picks musical tracks that actually aids in the development of the story. Oh, yeah. So this show's never had a problem with balancing all the elements of a story and I am just wowed by this episode because they threw three additional elements on top. Yeah. Don't think about it, dude. I mean, this series, the strength of this series, and it could be just like what you alluded, a weakness in other shows, is they introduce the, all these multiple characters. But all these characters you get really attached to. I mean, like, even like a characters that haven't shown up in a while, like, say, Willoughby, or even my the one that I'm like going, hey, where the heck is Flex? I want to see Flex Metallo because Flex was freaking funny. <laughs> and, oh, he's, and, he's, and you like his pecs. And his pecs. And he his hangs out in... Uh, if I'm not correct, like he's, he, he's, he was he's, a Danny resident. He's a, right? He was a Danny resident. So like, so I'm sure sooner or later we'll get like we'll a get handful of them back again. Yeah. Do you think at some point we need to have like a massive superhero team up where we get all the members of the Doom Patrol, even the members like Flex <laughs> Metallo, and they just have a giant like fight scene? We haven't had that in Doom Patrol, have we? Not really. No, it's not really that type of it show. Would be, it would but be it really would be fun. cool to see. It'd be really cool. We even have Danny like swallow people it, up in yeah. the ambulance. It would be fun. <laughs> How <laughs> awesome would that be? It would be fun to see it play out like Doom Patrol style. Because I think the the closest we got was season one. Was, yeah, season yeah. one with the, with the giant monster in the park shooting lasers, and they were oh, all just with, kind of like there. Yeah, with Mister like, Nobody, just, they were yeah. trying to. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into this uh, with our characters now. Number one thing that's has to be a must. We have to start officially with Jane. 
Jane is basically a representation of Kay's grandmother, which does make a lot of sense, which is actually pretty common when it comes to people who have a disassociative identity disorder. I believe that's what it's called. These identities are sometimes based on individuals that were a part of the person's life, whether it be a negative influence or a positive influence like the grandmother was, which, of course, I mean, makes so much sense because the grandmother was her guardian, her protector, the person who tried to protect her from the abuse of the father. And now Jane has been created to essentially fill that exact same role. Which, yes, that's a great reveal. It tells us so much about Kay, but it also says a lot about Jane. Yes. As a character. And you got to also remember the one question we had in the last episode was, okay, well, what's the point of Jane at this point? Because like you point, I think it was you, Paul, that pointed out that at this point, the whole reason of Jane was to protect Kay. Kay doesn't need to be protected now. What is her point? Right. <laughs> well, I would, I would, I would say, I would argue that she does, but she's getting better. And at some point, if she continues to get better and better, she won't need these people, people anymore any longer. But I almost feel like that was put to rest in this episode because she does need a guardian. She does need someone to fix her. And most of this was about Jane. It had a lot less to do with Kay and more about Jane because this was a big reveal for her. Jane feels like. She's failing, as yeah. we know, and doesn't know if she can keep protecting Kay in the way that she may need to be protected. But learning that she was created based on the memory of Kay's grandmother, I feel could give her that bit of confidence and purpose she needs in order to continue. Because that's probably a better way of saying what you were saying, Dave. I feel like she has purpose, but Jane doesn't know what that is. She probably yeah. feels like she's possibly losing her purpose because a K is getting better and B she feels like a failure. Look, I'm even dead. I believe that's <laughs> what she said. So this scene with the grandmother was so needed for her character in order for us to get a little bit of closure with that aspect. That was a bit of a tag on from last seasons, uh, or I should say Jane's issues last season, uh, especially because, you know, she's feeling inadequate, as I said, that she's a failure. And then finding that commonality commonality with the grandmother, it says a lot. And just as a grandmother alluded to when it comes to the flawed aspect, being flawed isn't necessarily a weakness. You can find strength in accepting your flaws and understanding them. Because then once you know these things about yourself, you can take the proper steps to correcting them. Which is why... That ending scene between Cliff and Jane was so effing powerful. The fact that both of them finally openly stated that they need help. That's a big deal for both of those characters to voice something like that. Well, especially since for what they've gone through, through like what? Let's say two and a half seasons right now. The character of Cliff and Jane, especially Cliff have been had this like epic story arc of how they have to change. They're changing as people. And like the, the, the dialogue that she had with the abuela felt so natural that basically it's, it really does feel like this was Jane's culmination, you know, trying to find her purpose. And then just like what you said, I'm sorry. I was laughing at the, uh, 
the the visual of Cliff talking to his dad as his dad is like carving up a was it a unicorn? It was a, it was a Pegasus. That's yeah. right. And I was like going, man. Cliff is messed in the head when it comes to his dad because like his dad's just carving the Pegasus up and, and Cliff is screaming at him. <laughs> that was an interesting aspect of Cliff's story. His story has always been great, but it's starting to gain momentum in the way that helps match, at least for me, Jane's and Larry's story. I think it's really smart that the writers are ripping away all of Cliff's crutches this season all of his crutches and excuses and his verbal and emotional targets that he, that he has come to rely on. For example, his anger with Niles, like we talked about last episode is what he used to use to not deal with his problems. Instead of looking at himself in the mirror, he would blame everything on Niles. Niles is gone. And now they're taking away his father as well. Meaning look, his father ended up becoming a decent person in the end. And that's sad for Cliff as well, because think about it. It took Cliff, it took for Cliff to die a tragic death for his father to look at himself and say, maybe I fucked up. Let me see (laughs) if I can do better with, with my granddaughter. Cliff has come to rely on anger and targets in order to deal with his problems. And now he doesn't know if he even has that. Because that's what, that's what gives Cliff his sense of worth though. His his points or his of strength, his strength of being constantly turning it on people, like especially in the like the last episode when he he was talking with Cyborg, remember, and he turned this, the the conversation on Cyborg on Cyborg yeah. because that's what Cliff needed. Mm-hmm. That's how his personality reacts. Is like that's the only thing that does give him feeling, and it goes to like the overall. The overall story arc for Cliff is like this character who has lost all sense of feeling. He doesn't know how, what anything feels like. So he latches on to the only thing he can remember, which is hate, which is hate and anger. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I identify with that I so hard do. though. Exactly. Like, I only made it here today because I harnessed Sheer anger, anger to plow through some nonsense that was thrust upon me at the end of my work day that... Yeah, man. Like, but it's the easiest way to handle it. And the problem was, it worked for Cliff <laughs> in the beginning, but now he has to take another step. He's he's losing his dependencies, and now he has to look at himself. And I feel like he's more angry about that than the fact that his father became a good guy after his death. Yep. And his father was a bit of a broken man. It does feel like he he is sincere in in his remorse. I mean, he is in heaven after all, essentially living a life of perpetual remorse, um, but he is in a version of heaven. So he did, in fact, I guess we can believe, did turn over a leaf and became a better individual at the end of his life. And I guess the point I'm making is that Cliff no longer has others to blame for his problems, and now all he has is just himself to blame. And that realization hit him so hard that he admitted he might not be strong enough to continue yes. on his own, which was a, which I would say, David, you're the, you're the, um, you know, AA guy, you know, oh, yeah. programs and whatnot. That's something you've mentioned on the air. So that's nothing new. That's nothing new. I mean, that's a big step, right? In recovery. Oh yeah. That's, that's actually one of the first few steps of recovery is actually trying to find your own self-worth without 
making any excuses. Taking responsibility. Taking right? responsibility. And, you know, like, stop saying, well, it's, I can't do this because of this. Okay. Well, what happens if we take that away? I still can't do it because of this. <laughs> and it's like a never ending cycle. And that's why with Cliff in this episode, it, while, while Jane's was so impactful and it felt so real, Cliff's also felt really real when you think about it, because like the, the, the story for Cliff as a character, as I said, was like a character that has lost all sense of feeling because he's trapped in this robot body. There's no, you know, one of the overall things that he's been talking about, especially the last episode with cyborg was like, he has no sense of like touch. He doesn't know what it feels like to hold someone. So he has to remember the memory of holding his own daughter so he can remember, know what it's like holding his granddaughter. And then you get to this point and it's finally coming full circle where you see that Cliff has always used the crutch of anger and, and lashing out to pu- push him forward because that's the easiest thing to feel. Who, who, who doesn't know what anger and, and being pissed off feels like he's, he's kind of like a sledgehammer. He's just a dude. And he's a bro. When you ask someone, Hey, can you remember this? Yes. Not many people Perfectly. can. Yeah. Well, that's because you're a genius, Paul. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Larry. Larry is really back and he had to rescue his friends. Oh, dear. For the most part on his own. Would you do this, Mike? You always say that you, you are Larry. Would you do this to your friends if they showed up and you would wrap them in bandages? Put them around I thought that table. was so funny. I, I love the interplay between him and Dorothy. When Dorothy <laughs> said, why would you do this? He's all, well, it's just kind of morbid to leave them in a box. And she's yeah. all, and this is it? <laughs> this is it? Yeah, that was the, good. Her her coming, like literally getting back from burying her dad. And Larry is like, hey, man, I'm so glad to see you. Everyone else died. And she's just like, <laughs> he'll died. It really does show how much growth Larry still has to go to go because he is happy that a 12 year old has come to help, help him. him. <laughs> it's so, and it, it, but it makes so much sense. Oh to yeah, it absolutely like, does. Larry's journey is just beginning. We thought, oh, he's going to make peace with the negative spirit. They'll go flying off to Jupiter and live happily ever after. And then within like two episodes of this season, they're like, like nah, nah. He's got a long ways to go, so he's stuck. He's stuck back at Doom Matter now. <laughs> and if you go back to what we said, I believe our last discussion about the whole codependency codependency issues, Larry, of course, doesn't have that negative spirit any longer with him. So now he is going to try to latch on to other things, and there's no Rita, there is no negative spirit. So the moment Dorothy was you know popped up at the door he was legitimately psyched because he had someone he can depend on well think about it too dude i mean that scene when he gets the the four bodies of the rest of the team yeah he literally like loses his mind and he's like crying and and i'm like larry did you really care for these people this much? I don't believe so. Now who am i going to depend on? Exactly. That was the whole point is like now we actually see sitting, sitting there waking up or whatever from whatever happened with the negative spirit 
sitting in that house waiting for anybody to come back because like what else do you do in that situation you know sooner or later the rest of the team will come back but like where are they and then they come back and they're all dead and they're all dead <laughs> like, what am i even doing here what is my life now and then and then he literally essentially has a nervous breakdown and wraps them all in bandages and sits them down and i pictured larry like legitimately talking to the team why did he wrap cliff yeah i know yeah i don't know who knows he did have a bit of a psychotic break as you said dave and that was a little that was a little bit of levity that's I feel like that was the entire purpose of that scene was just to give us a bit of a reprieve from some of the more darker, deeper elements of the season so far, because in just three episodes, we've already delved into some very deep areas. Absolutely. But you know what the genius thing about that scene, though, is it, Mike? it, it wasn't all nonsense. It wasn't all like, nonsense because it still took Larry's story forward because while it was ridiculous, it really brought forth the the problem that Larry has to deal with now, which is his problem with being dependent on everybody. Just that and, you know, coping with all of my friends are now dead. Like, like people, people handle that in different ways. And like seeing how someone else copes might seem ridiculous to you, but like, it is what it is. And while this was humorous, it was also like him, like, and he admits later, like, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't the best idea, but it's what I did. <laughs> it, it's very telling. And I think that was the point. It said a lot about what's going on in his head. Yes. And I and ultimately, I I really liked what they did with him in this episode. And I know I had said, well, I hope he doesn't come back next episode because then it kind of takes know, away the whole yeah. codependency thing. But the way they did it actually worked because he was forced to essentially work on his own and rescue his friends. Yes, he had the assistance of the, uh, the, boy, detectives. the boy detectives and Dorothy. But he did have to be the one to kind of lead the charge and say, yes, this is what we're going to do. And he had to muster up courage without the negative spirit to go into the netherworlds and save his friends. So this was actually a big thing for him. He had to make the comfort pancakes. That was (laughs) none none of the characters that, you know, even even Dorothy, none of the characters that we had him teamed up with this episode are on that level that he could like be codependent with them. They, none of them are those characters that he would fall back on. So yeah, he wasn't able to do that. And as you said, he had to fall into that kind of not even leadership necessarily, he, but like he just had to be the one he had to save his friends. He, yeah. Because the, the, de- the detectives weren't going to do it on their own. They didn't care. They were leaving. So he had to muster up the courage and do it. And I believe Larry might have had one of the biggest developments in the way of growth as a person when he attempted to help Edwin as well. I mean, who obviously is closeted. And that's a big deal for him. If this had been brought up during season one, this whole interplay between Edwin and and Larry, it would have gone very differently. Because, of course, we know that he has struggled with with his sexuality and he was ashamed of being a gay male so to see that he was actually willing not willing but able to give some advice to edwin that says a lot about how much he has changed over the last two seasons changed and learned yeah because that was the important part because that story of larry's was so impactful dude from season one it's great seeing that they still they acknowledge that Larry is a different person from day one. And 
I think that's what was really cool about that scene too. And I, I'm wondering if that's going to play into play more into effect when you get to the dead boy detective series, because there had to be a reason also is how good this writing staff is. They make everything matter. So like, I'm like going, if this is also part of this continuation, that's a cool element to actually continue on from doom patrol to dead boy detectives. Yeah. And you know, listen, because both showrunners, you know, Carver is, is working on dead boy detectives. I'm hoping we have some crossovers every now and again. And I'm not talking about story arc crossovers where you have to watch the next show in order to know what's happening, just bring them into your show for an episode when you need them, just like they're doing with Flex Metallo and Willoughby. Well, that's as were we are we recording when we say it doesn't matter. Um, Danny, you know, Danny as a conduit being able to bring any of the residents of Danny, you know, to either programs um, and even, you know, side characters, whatever fucking Willoughby, he's him and those dead boys. They just pal around for hours. Well, I'm so excited about this because essentially they can make their own do patrol universe because you have the same creators. They can crisscross or mix, mix match different characters, whatever works for the story. And yes, you're absolutely right. Willoughby could easily cross over into both shows. Yeah, oh, easily. Yes. And I'm wondering if the night nurse is actually going to be a predominant character in the dead boy. I, 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 I mean, would they, make sense. I would imply that yeah. she's like, you know, one of the, bad maybe guys. not the right hand, but like one of the prime subordinates of yeah. fucking death. Because so. I think that is the dead boy detectives, you know, main antagonist, so to speak is That's like so cool. Death and her minions. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to cyborg. He was able to have some closure with his mother, which was, as we know, was a big part of his trauma during the first season. The fact that he blamed himself for her death and he had to work through much of that. And it felt right to bring this closure around. He's a person that is struggling to find his identity and discover who he really is or should be. And that character, or I should say chapter in his life is or has been closed. But this last bit of closure was a great way to finalize it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Did they open up a new can of worms when it comes to Cyborg's origins and his father's intentions? Because it seemed like it could be two things. Either it could be something Vic's father hasn't told him because it did feel like Cyborg's mother had had some knowledge about Vic's father's plans that Vic might not have even known about. Or it could be just his mother's way of showing that she disapproved of what the father did to Vic. But I mean, here's the thing. Would, wouldn't you be, you, I wouldn't be surprised if it's more about his dad withholding information from him because we know that from season uh, one and two, yeah. the relationship between Cyborg and his dad is very tenuous at best. Yeah, Vic's, I, I was, Vic's dad is a piece of shit. Vic's uh, dad see, is a piece of shit. I was hoping we... Not that I it's know, a, not, I know, I, I know that in the a, past, Mike, you were saying that you were hoping that I thought Vic's that was dad over. would be over. Yeah, well, but especially I, I was like we, going. Then we no. find out that Niles had a big part to play in that whole thing too, and and the blame kind of shifted from Vic's dad to Niles. Yeah, but the thing is, they never they they still acknowledged, I believe, throughout the season that 
Vic's dad was still complacent with some with several issues. Right. Okay. I, th- I think and I think the technology, the technology, or what have the you grid technology that Niles, but it was still Vic's dad's was, like decision to use it, it and all decision. that. Right. They still they still pointed out that throughout the season that Vic's dad had his own plans for his son. Yeah. Well, and that much is clear throughout the last several seasons. In fact, I believe we talked about that during our first season, our first episode discussion this year about Vic, like Vic's dad had very different ideas for, for his future and what he wanted for him. In fact, you David had said that the justice league thing was more about what the dad wanted for him than Vic. possibly. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, what was in the very beginning? What was Vic's dad constantly saying? Oh, you got to do this. You got. Yeah, it was. It, it was like the five year plan. The five year plan. And it's it's funny because while you know while Vic was uh, you know a sports star, a little football guy, um, and a lot of times, well, you know, in stereotypical stories, um, the parents will like push the kids into sports, and like maybe the kids like the sports, but like the parents are trying to push the kid to either achieve what they couldn't. Or to, um, you know, just whatever, have this career, this this potential for this thing. And while Vic was doing that, the dad, like, I don't know, you know, wasn't there, didn't care no, about didn't that care. side of it. And then, and, well, because, then, and then the whole, you know, the accident happened and then Vic becomes cyborg. And like now the dad is filling that role of like, you know, the five year plan. This is what you need to do. This is how we're going to get you into the Justice League. Like. And it, it it's almost like the problem the problem was Vic was not interesting to his father because all the stuff that he was doing, his father didn't it didn't match what his father was working on. But suddenly, especially in season one, you get this inkling that when the accident happened and they've never really came out and, you know, finalized this the story point I noticed is like Vic still thinks his his father used the accident as an excuse to put the implants in him because why did why did his father do this to him and that that was like a reoccurring thing throughout the entire season until you introduced the fact of the Ronnie character in well no no if you remember in season 1 y- yes his father had made some indiscretions when it came to cyborg's origins however he was also being messed with mentally. If you remember, yes. Mr. Nobody, Mr. Had Nobody was heightened Vic's anger and distorted the truths. So we were led to believe by the end of the season that Vic's dad wasn't necessarily the root of all evil. However, you're saying now that based on your thoughts and your theories, that may be that may change. That may change. And it may because, be revealed that he is the source of many of Vic's problems. Yeah, because if you think about it, yeah, if Mr. Nobody distorted the truth, right? There's still some truth that he probably latched onto and just as as like what you said, he turned the aggravation on on Cyborg to the max so, so that he, he would get confused, but there's still this kernel of truth that you always felt that there's something that Mr. Nobody found out that he was able to manipulate him that way. Well, yes, absolutely. And I feel like this does make sense with this version of Vic's dad. Can we quit calling him Vic's dad? What's his real name? Silas. 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 There we go. Thank you. This version of Silas is very Dr. Moreau 
Dr. Frankenstein. It's very dark. It's very disturbing. And because I've always gotten that vibe, it did feel like he had secrets. But because the narrative is contradicting the subtext, I'm kind of I've been leaning towards the actual overt narrative like, oh, he's a good guy now. But now that if this is the direction we're going, it's not like it's been not in front of us the entire time. Yeah. And like even with, you know, with old blue balls, Vic um, being like shut down. Right. And like not having access to grid and all of the star lab stuff like. Everything that. Everything that old Professor Dr. Stone did to his son, uh, you know, to save him or whatever, like it it was all like you you look at it like the resources he used, like Vic is a tool for Star Labs and the fact that they are able to do all of these things to him and like cut him off. It's just like, I don't know, like maybe in the moment you don't think that like, oh, yeah, Star Labs could fucking do anything to my boy son here uh, if I (laughs) if I make him a robot. But like I did it anyway. And like his life sucks double now. I'm wondering if. Silas views. I'm wondering if Silas has come to terms that his son is actually dead and possibly maybe he doesn't even view him as a son. Maybe he looks at him as just a piece of machinery and he, study and his son actually died in that car accident. Maybe oh, that's how he can reconcile all of this. I don't like that at all because uh, <laughs> his like his personality is still absolutely very much there. And it's like what? But do you think if, a scientist, like if, a man of science like that, do you think possibly he can come up with that type of thing in his I mean, mind yeah, no, to deal like, with I, it? I I believe that that could be that way, but like I don't just it's when so you're, depressing, when you're, right? Yeah, it when is. you when you're looking when you're when you're thinking about a being, right? Like if if like if one of your dogs just you know jumped up and was running the computer and was talking the same way you were, like that's fine. You just have a dog body now. You're still Mike. Um, but like if, if you're, if, if, if the man in the hat and headphones over there, like if your personality totally shifted and you were like a different thing, like you're not Mike anymore, like what you, what you look like or physically are, at least in my opinion, like, like barely matters compared to like, you know, whatever this. And if you think about it, Mike too, I mean, with the narrative that they gave us throughout three seasons right now, every time that Vic decides to do something that his father tells him not to do. What does his father do? He takes something away from him. Yeah. And like, especially like in the current situation that he's in right now, it's not the Ronnie thing that bus basically, I, I, I get the sense that the Ronnie thing was the tipping point, but the start point was the fact that his father told him, I believe in the last uh, season before he goes out to go face the candle maker, his father tells him not to. But Vic, Vic, Vic basically says, no, I'm going to go help my friends. That, And I like that you're bringing in the Ronnie aspect because it's making me wonder now, okay, well, the first episode we were thinking, well, perhaps that's just a little bit of a flyaway that they had to, that they had to deal with from last season. They had to make sure they wrapped that up because of the whole pandemic issue. But now I'm wondering if Silas felt so passionately about Ronnie not being a part of Vic's life. I'm wondering if he is connected to the issues that Ronnie is dealing with. Gotta currently. Be. 
Oh, he's got to be. be. He's got to be. That would make sense why she was introduced, why Silas was upset and cut him off because he's trying to remove him from the equation because possibly an investigation would open the door or open up a can of worms that would then reveal Silas as being this guy that's also involved in all of those issues, those things. Like David just said, every time... Every time Vic does something that, like, dad tells him not to, like, yeah, he gets something taken away. He gets punished in some way. But he also, like, gains a piece of knowledge or some sort of insight or something Mm -hmm. from doing the thing he wasn't supposed to that inevitably, like, drives a wedge between him and his father father. because his father is trying to prevent him from knowing a whole bunch of different things. And it's like, well, fucking why, bro? Yeah, see, that would be such a sad story because the way I've looked at it so far is that his father's just trying to protect him. So, hey, listen, I know better. And he's a bit of a control freak. That's what I've always got from it. But now if we're going down this direction that his father is the one trying to keep secrets because he's doing unethical things and he's involved in some dirty shit, then that changes the story in a big way, but also in a way that feels cohesive and makes sense if that's the direction they're going. And that is a sad story for Vic. That's why I'm waiting for like, what could possibly be the breaking point between Vic and his father at this point? Ronnie's titties. (laughs) Yeah. Don't tell me not to go after them. Look at those. It'd be weird to actually bring Ronnie into this because I'm like, okay, what's, what is her point in this? Big titties. Besides the big titties. (laughs) Robo tits. Oh, Oh, that would be, (laughs) she actually did have, Yes, she oh, did. I forgot. That would be kind of fun. But like, I think honestly, this is where Vic's storyline's heading. It's yeah. it's one of the storylines I've been thinking. It's been stagnant for a while, so they have to. It's logical, right? For me, they have to basically take it up that other notch. And the only way I can figure, and Mike, you could probably correct me if I'm wrong or not as a writer. Mm-hmm. The only way you could spice up a situation like this when it starts getting stale Robot is you tits. make it tragic. You got to make it tragic. You got to give some meaning to this character. Like this change suddenly just changes the character of Vic completely. Well, yeah. and it's, it's been, you know, like you said, it's been a little bit stagnant, but like the build up to here, I think like you and I both agree, Mike, that this is just in general, this, this representation of cyborg is like the, the best that oh, we've seen. By the far. story by is um, just everything that they're doing with, doubts and backstory and the relationship with his father and secrets and blah, 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 that like, yeah, it makes sense for it to go this way because this is what has been interesting about him so far. And I'm not just going to blanket statement, say that like everyone feels the way I do that cyborg is generally like a garbage, stupid character. And most people do agree with that. <laughs> most but like people do. They're, they're, they, they're doing such good things with him and making him so like interesting and compelling in the show that like it, yeah, it just fucking makes sense to keep following that narrative. Yeah, it works. Go to those places. All right. So let's move over. And lastly, to Rita, it does feel more and more like she's the big puzzle piece this season, or it could simply be a bit of the wrong man's syndrome, meaning it has nothing to do with her, but she thinks it might. And it has everything to do with the shapeshifter, Madame Rouge. Is that her name? Madame Rouge. Yep. So I'm thinking it might be a little bit of both. I mean, Niles did choose her, you know, and gave her the key for a reason. 
she also was the only one that did not enter an afterlife and didn't lose consciousness. There's got to be a reason for that. Then we had that monster man that seemed to have known her and then saved them by essentially sacrificing himself. Hey, Mike, do you do you guys actually think that that guy is the guy that remember in the, her beginning origin? She made uh, she had sex with the therapist at one point and we know something horrible happened and that's kind of like huh. the catalyst for Rita. I, I just assumed that she literally smothered him, been, like crushed him to bits or like suffocated him with her schlup. Yeah. It did seem like she knew him, but she didn't want to admit it. And I'm like, I was like thinking, well, wait a minute. Could that have been the therapist that basically she fell in love with? And you know, as you, you said, just, it's just a second ago, Paul, she schlepped all over him, schlepped him up. <laughs> It's a little confusing because I'm not quite sure how the actress is playing it at times and probably because we all know she's a good actor. He's not fucking up. I'm sure she understands her motivation, but the, it feels like she's playing it a little coy, that she's trying to be subtle because you could almost, you can interpret it in different ways. Either A, she thinks maybe the monster man is mistaking her from the other Rita or she recognizes them and she doesn't want to admit it to the team yet for whatever yeah. reason. And I, and I honestly, I feel like, but like it's absolutely 50 50 because like she, she acts like, Oh shit, it's that guy. But like, Oh, I don't know him. Uh, like that <laughs> well, is, it, that it, is the vibe that I get. But you know, as, as a follow up from last episode where like we've got, either Madame Rouge, Madame Rouge. Uh, with Rita's face because that's a thing or just the other Rita if it's an alternate to, you know whatever the fuck is happening there um I mean yeah it's absolutely it could be either things and it's 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 one of those things where I'm not even trying to speculate I'm just like all right well I'll just wait till they give me the answer because mm-hmm. like I'm just I'm I'm here for the ride doom patrol <laughs> yeah I like what they're doing with Rita this year they are definitely taking her up a notch they are changing the direction. They're staying consistent with her story when it comes to her characterization. However, they definitely, uh, and maybe I need to wait two or three more episodes to say this definitively. However, it does feel like the change is that Rita is now the new Niles, meaning I'm talking about in the way of developing the story. Niles, even though he's played smaller parts in the previous two seasons, he is the anchor. He's the myth arc. Everything revolves around his actions. He's gone now. And now it seems like Rita is the center of that. Like she's the mystery. She's the myth arc. And everything is riding on her shoulders. Everyone else's story. I, I like, like, sure. And I feel like maybe they are setting her up to be that like in, in future seasons. But I, f- I feel like like this is still very much about like like she is very heavily involved, obviously. But we've got Madame Rouge, who is we don't know anything about other than she's here for something Niles related, which cannot be resolved because Niles is dead. Is dead. So it's like it's still a very Niles centric situation. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, obviously you can't just have. People coming season after season to punch a ghost. So, so are we like, getting more Niles then? 
I, if that's the case. I don't necessarily think so. Like I, I'm down for it, but I, my assumption is just that we are, we are going to like really wrap him up this season and then do the thing that you just said. We'll build that up so that it can, you know, happen next season onward or shit, maybe bounce character to character as the, the, the staple myth arc season by season. So you're saying that it Niles could possibly still be the, 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 the driving force between this episode or I'm sorry for this season, but Rita is possibly the one that they're handing the baton to. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So some tidbits here. I have no idea who this David, the demon is. He could be some, he could be pulled from so many different sources. Do you have any thoughts on this, David? I I actually this this is the one episode that I was like scouring how many places could they possibly go and David the Demon I found four possible yeah I found like two okay <laughs> I, I was like trying to figure out but nothing definitive right nothing definitive yeah. it's almost like the character itself was a mismatch of the two characters that I found and if if that's which the ones case, are they um let me pull them up because I've had them here. But like in that case, if there's like two others, I wouldn't be surprised, dude. I mean, I mean, we mentioned it uh, ahead of time about like how they are taking characters and basically just doing their own interpretation of it. Yeah, he does. I I love Carver and he can do what he does, but you do got to be careful because if you're not and maybe he doesn't care about DC babies, uh, but you don't want to be accused to be to being like Gotham. Exactly. Meaning. Now, first off, this show is is nowhere near Gotham's quality. Gotham was sh- garbage, just straight garbage. The <laughs> writing wasn't good. The writing on this show is so excellent. So I don't feel like they're ever going to fall into that category. However, many of the DC fans despise Gotham, not because of the bad writing, but because they just made characters up. They pulled characters out of thin air, and they're like, why would you do that when the DC library is filled with so many characters that could fill that role? But how many of them were named Fish? Not enough. Not enough. (laughs) But like, do you think Carver is going to start doing that because he doesn't want to be held to... I think think it's the smartest thing to do, and honestly, I trust Carver to do it. Okay. I trust Carver to do it in in someone else's hands. I'd be very questionable, but Carver at this point, especially with the past two seasons under his belt, he's been able to bring in characters and do his own takes on him, on them. And it's, you can, the perfect example is negative man himself. This negative man is not anything like what we know of negative man in the comics, but he was able to keep the, essence of negative man and but there was still a negative man though in dc comics i'm talking about just making up your own characters and because in in the past when creators have done that in comic book shows it has led to a lot of revolt now yes in each instance that i can think of they were horribly written for example brian um brett ratner's x-men series where he just made up like 30 mutants. different mutants that we've <laughs> never heard of. People hated that. Now, yes, that movie was the worst of the X-Men franchise. And then Gotham is the other example. And each of those shows have one thing in common. They're both written poorly. 
So perhaps, David, you're onto something because it's Carver and we know he's capable of writing. Perhaps people don't aren't even going to really care. Like, because well, is, is, is there a chance that in in these, you know, these, uh, you know, we'll call them original characters that that he is making or using, um, especially if they are like seldom seen or one time use characters such as, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe the watchers will come back. Maybe we'll never see him again. Who knows? Um, but with things like that, if if he is going to take these if he's going to build those characters out of like, you know, a reference here, a reference there, things that fans can spot if they are very familiar with the material or things that people will just accept if they're not, because this is what the show is giving me. So this is what I'll take um, is like, is that the best possible way to go about it? Cause if, you know, we'll say that this, you know, David, the demon um, is, is a hodgepodge of whatever two things that you will probably eventually say, cause you haven't yet. Um, <laughs> If if that's what it is, if we're just using that as a, a, a starting point for this, because, again, I don't think this girl was in the comics. No, so she, and that's the thing. She is original. So, of course, the thing that afflicts her would be original. But if it's inspired by things from the comics, is that is that something to complain about? Or is that something to just, like, be, oh, that's kind of like this thing. Huh? Keep and, watching. Like, the the character the two characters that I found Mike was David uh, uh, David Graves who is a uh, is a demon that was created to fight the Justice League right. by Jim Lee and who's the next and one? then the next one was you know I I did a leap of faith and basically said Etrigan hmm. <laughs> because Etrigan has gone by many names David is one of them oh really so, <laughs> I did not know that I was like going. Could they be hinting at Etrigan? Because Etrigan, here's the thing. Etrigan also is a Neil Gaiman kind of centric character because he, a lot of his great stories came from Neil Gaiman and we've been pulling from Neil Gaiman. So would we be surprised to see Etrigan? I know, not, but not really. <laughs> I think I'm, I'd be cool. I It'd think cool. I guess what I'm trying to say, or I'm, maybe I'm just trying to figure it all out right here on the show, how I feel about it. The critic in me and the fan of Jeremy Carver says, if the show is written superbly, who gives a shit? But the DC baby in me is like, but you have so much there that you could use and DC fans want to see it. Like you had a perfect opportunity to bring in Ramakrishna, dead man. Like that would make <laughs> sense. You're dealing with the afterlife. So Ultimately, I would never hate on a show that's this good just because they're not fulfilling my every geek need. That I I'm I don't care. I'm not important. Your writing is more important than my geek wants. So I'm willing to be objective about it. But I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. There may be fans that don't want to be objective. Maybe people say, "Why don't you guys use I, this? like I I, I do I like make we, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I just I I think that and uh, this kind of goes against my earlier point with like Dead Boy Detectives, they're the fucking main characters of the comic series. Um but they're still like they're the main characters of a Vertigo comic series whereas uh Dead Man and Etrigan like 
I mean, that's that's not necessarily like everybody knows those guys, but like they're fucking Justice League Dark. They're they're not minor characters. Etrigan and shit, both of them. I think we're in like Batman the animated series, at least for a couple episodes. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. like they're a casual fan can be aware of who these characters are. Like there's there's no fucking way that just the you know, the casual fan is going to know who Dead Boy Detectives are prior to watching this. So I think that and and the that whole like building out the vertigo universe as opposed to just like a, a JLD universe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, they're, they're different things and maybe they are doing what they can and working with what they have while trying not to cross that line. I think that that was the issue that I was having trying to figure out about this. The character was because like, okay, I'm not good. Uh, I'm not going to cross over the justice league boundary, meaning like the upper tier echelon DC comics you have to stick inside a vertigo or at least Neil Gaiman's run. So if there's characters that Gaiman that I know about, I know David Graves did show up somewhere around vertigo. I think it was in Sandman. And then, uh, of course, Etrigan, Etrigan showed up in a bunch of times in Gaiman's books, regardless if it was Sandman, he showed up in doom patrol. I know that. And then um, we're getting to some really nerd territory. So nerd I apologize to so yes. TV fans. I, I hope that's we're what, not boring you to death. I was, that's why I was like, going, uh, do you really want to go here? Mike? Because yeah. I'm the, my geek side, I feel like we could do a whole other hour right now. Oh, yeah. we, 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 <laughs> I mean, the fact that you bring, you brought up the one character that I told myself from the beginning, no, they're not going to bring him in is dead man. I want them to, but no, I want Etrigan so much more. Like, I'm honestly, I'm so mad at you for even saying that name because he would be so fucking fun to well, see on a show. Just imagine that, too, is like Etrigan is the character that was like going, he's the perfect character to introduce into Doom Patrol, especially since they're dealing with the afterlife. They're dealing with, you know, especially with Willoughby's bringing in the freaking magic side, the, the really strange magic side of the DC universe. That's Etrigan's home I, turf. I would see Etrigan being somehow tied in through Willoughby. Um, I mean, shit, like even even like Willoughby's sword is just very Etrigan. Even, but even I, with death. I, ex- I, I expect death? less Etrigan tie-ins coming from DBD. Okay, so moving on. We got to move on. <laughs> yes. The question for you uber nerds in the back, I'm Paul and David. We're in the back of the room. We're in the back. <laughs> the forest that Edwin, Charles, and Larry walked through to get to the Tunnel of Souls looked very familiar to something. To it looked familiar and reminiscent of a very of a big place in DC Comics. Uh, the giveaway for me was when Edwin said that this place is a path to lots of different places. <laughs> I got the impression. Are you going here? I don't know, but ho- hopefully we're thinking the same thing. <laughs> I got the impression that they were in the same place that the house of mystery and the house of secret resides, which is either oblivion or the dreaming. Yeah. I got okay. The that would, okay. Yeah, I got because the that's exactly how they describe the place where the house of mystery resides. Yes. And even the forest looked exactly where Cain and Abel Cain bounce and Abel around were. in the dreaming. Yes. Dude, and that's I why I was so like, giddy when I saw that. And again, a game and tie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> would make perfect sense. So that's why I'm like going, they're pulling so much stuff, dude. It's so fun as a hardcore fan, especially of the Vertigo run. 
you're like seeing it going, oh my God, are we actually going to get the stuff that we, as Vertigo fans, were I've really been wanting forever. Wanting for years. Yeah. This show, I could imagine, I haven't really talked to a lot of Vertigo fans that uh, have watched this show, but I could imagine this satiates the Vertigo fan in a lot of ways because it just, it feels like a Vertigo comic. It, it, the, the, the darker themes, the darker storylines, um, just everything about it it just feels like those darker dc stories oh yeah well especially since you know like let's take it up another notch the main quote-unquote villain that they were running away from who's death yeah i was expecting especially when they say she oh. it was a she of death and i'm like going there's only one death in, in vertigo and that is from the death from sandman yeah that's a big thing so if she's the one it would make sense it's her it's her domain and, you know, unfortunately for the dead boy detectives, they deal in her domain and she does not like it when people mess around in her domain. Yeah, I'm getting excited. So let's bring this show to an end. Let's start with final thoughts. Now, for the last several weeks, couple weeks, Paul, you've gone first. So, David, briefly, keep it short because okay. we're way over. Give me your score and final thoughts. Uh, I'll start off with my score. I gave this episode a 95. I really enjoyed this episode. I mean, a lot of the character development that was going on in this episode kind of hit me in certain ways. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the whole discussion of Jane and Cliff and stuff like that. So keeping it short and sweet, 95. Really strong episode. Okay, Paul? Uh, sticking with the sticking with short and sweet, um, there were there were a couple parts, a couple like conclusions that were jumped to to like move the story forward that I wasn't in love with um, on like the actual this is an episode of Doom Patrol side, but nothing that like I'm really going to fucking whine about. And what? Give me an example. Um, very specifically, uh, the quote. What if she's stuck in purgatory is just like thrown out <laughs> of fucking nowhere. <laughs> And like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what's happening. But like, what the fuck? Why did you guess that? Because it, it was, was very like, specific. It, it, I don't even like it wasn't from the dead boy detectives or something either. It was just like it was like Larry and fucking um, Dorothy. Dorothy just talking to each other. And like, what if Rita's stuck in limbo? You're right. Let's get some <laughs> dead boy detectives. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Let's move the plot along, I guess, as a backdoor pilot. But, but you know, whatever. Fucking because this was... You know, it served a purpose. We moved the story forward, and the story for this episode was also a backdoor pilot for Dead Boy Detectives. Yeah. And all of those aspects, uh, introducing the characters, their backstories, them interacting with Larry and Dorothy, Dorothy leaving with them. I fucking loved all of that. I'm stoked for this show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I objective, unobjective. I'm, I'm going to throw a 94 at it. All right, 94%. 96% for me. I'll keep it simple. The episode worked for me on so many levels. I'd even pick up on the whole purgatory thing. Why did you ruin it for me? I did. I did give this episode 98%. And then when you said that, I was like, you know what? That's actually not super great. So I dropped it to a 96%. The episode was fantastic. The cinematography is always just so important to fully understanding what the story is trying to say. The imagery always conveys meaning and the use of metaphor is just so great in this series when it comes to the imagery and how they frame shots and and the way they choose to light scenes. So we don't really get into the technical stuff very often when it comes to 
that specifically um, because I could probably spend another hour just on the visuals alone when it comes to Doom Patrol, and we don't have time for that. So, we must end. That's a... Average should be 95, right? 95, yeah. 95%. Thank you, because I was stammering the fuck out of that. (laughs) All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to find us on iTunes. Just search DC and RMD or the Doom Patrol edition. Also, please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital, and pledge a couple dollars. When you do so, you do gain additional content, and it keeps us on the air. It's really the only way we can continue to do these shows. So we do need your assistance. I thank you for that. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank God that's solved. Mint juleps.